a sweet treat called Kololo, a comfort food called Loco Moco, and the best surfing on the planet. This week, we're in Hawaii. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we're in the 50th state, and I had the pleasure of talking Hawaii with TV personality Guy Hagi. Before we get started, a few things about this episode. First off, Guy Hagi is about the friendliest person around, and he's very talkative. In fact, he's so talkative that he started talking food and travel as we were walking to sit down to do the interview. I quickly realized I was missing some great stuff as we were walking and talking, so I hit the record button, which is why it sounds like you're popping in in the middle of a conversation, because that's exactly what happened. Second, Guy talks about Austin, Texas, and if you want to know more about Austin, check out episodes 12 and 15 of Destination Eat Drink. We also talk about cacio e pepe, a Roman pasta dish, which I talk about in detail in the Rome episode of the podcast. That's episode number seven. Guy talks about places on Oahu and the Garden Isle of Kauai, and there's lots of information about both places, as well as Maui, on the DestinationEatDrink.com website. Just click on the Oceana tab, and there's tons of information, including places to eat, drink, and lots of fun things to do on each island. Finally, this is the first time I've interviewed someone for the podcast in person. Normally, what I do is I talk to my guests on Skype, which allows for a relatively quiet and controlled environment here at the palatial Destination Eat Drink World Headquarters and Podcast Broadcast Studio. But on this episode, we're sitting in an open room on a news set. So there's other people walking around, passing through, talking, and there's some background noise. I don't think it distracts at all from the interview, but I want to acknowledge it because this episode does sound a little bit different than some of the other episodes of the podcast. Destination Eat Drink. Today's guest is Guy Hagi. Guy is the weather anchor on TV station Hawaii News Now. Guy is also co-host of the excellent feature on Hawaii News Now called Cheap Eats. And like I said, this interview picks up right in the middle of our conversation. Austin's changed quite a bit since Well, we've been back. I mean, she took took me over there last year. Okay. Yeah. so, So, yeah, that whole scene's crazy. But it's an awesome place to be. Great energy. Yeah, really. We, uh, we, we did a little bit of research and we went to eat at the Japanese food place, Uchi. Okay. Oof. Would never imagine Japanese food in Austin was so good. I know. Did you, uh, did you have any barbecue in Austin? We did. Uh, friends took us out of town, though. They took us out uh, um, Salt Lake. You know, they still have some friends that are, that are local, you know, uh, live in Austin. So they decided, oh, no, we won't take it to the tourist place. You know, Franklin Barbecue is crazy. We'll go out. And then Salt Lake was awesome. You wait in line four hours. Uh, you know what? Honestly, 
there's no food that's worth it like that for me. <laughs> Four hours. I, I mean, I, you know, hats off to them for being so um, uh, wanted and desired, but I'm not willing to stand four hours for anything. Man, they set out they set out chairs for people to sit on because they're out there at six o'clock in the morning waiting for food. I, I don't get it, but, you know, people do it. Yeah, I give them credit, though, for not trying to, you know, cater to the crowd so much. Like, you can obviously go bigger. But they found their maximum size. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, um, we'll let's uh, let's talk let's talk about you, guy. You are the uh, weather anchor for Hawaii News Now Television. You also do this great segment on Hawaii News Now called Cheap Eats, which I love. Um, but recently, you moved from doing evenings to doing the morning show. How has that changed your life? Um, it's changed my life in a number of ways. Obviously, the schedule is kind of weird on my body. I mean, I'm a lot older now, so. Um, but it's actually way better for my family life. I have two kids that are teenagers now, and they're surfing. Um, I discouraged them from surfing when they were younger because surfing is one of the most obsessive sports and pursuits that one could ever uh, you know, a take up, you know, like the basketball court, the tennis court, the football field, the golf course even doesn't call you the way the ocean does and the way the waves do. And I knew that once my kids started surfing, that would be the case. They're in a very um, uh, demanding school academically. So they needed to get their feet under them first. And now that they do, they're solid um, B students, uh, borderline A students, I, I allowed them that. And then their friends started surfing, so I couldn't hold them back anymore. And I think it's just a matter of seeing their dad surf. And, you know, once you catch a wave and you, you get in, you get hooked, and, and they're hooked bad right, right now. So, so it's allowed me to take them surfing right after school, Monday through Friday, whereas before the older schedule at night, I'd only see them um, in the morning as they go off to school, and then I'd see them at dinner time, and that's it. So now with teenagers growing up, I still can catch up and make up for the time lost. Um, they still they don't drive yet, so they have to go with me. And we're surfing now and enjoying that as well as uh, more time together. So so on that, it's been it's been wonderful. And the transition between crews working between the nighttime and the morning show has been seamless. I'm having more fun in the morning because it's hard to have fun at night because you just don't have the time with a half an hour show. It's all bang, bang, bang. But with the morning show, you have way more time to elaborate on things, to relax and to, and to be maybe even give a more complete weather picture too. And do some fun stories too. So you are probably one of the best known sur surfing advocates in Hawaii, <laughs> I would say, because, you know, you talk about it all the time. You do, uh, your surf reports are well known here in Hawaii. How did you get started? You know, when did you get your feet wet? In terms of reporting the surf, um, as an 18-year-old kid, right out of high school, I got a, a job at Town & Country Surf Shop. They only had one shop at the time. They have multiple shops now. And they're a worldwide known brand. But in the, in the early 80s, you know, they had one store, barely making a dent on international, uh, national um, distribution. And they had this, um, the hourly surf report on the radio, on a couple of radio stations. And they left it to their sponsored professionals to do. And that's not something you can leave to sponsor professional surfers to do is be on time, <laughs> number one, right? So the radio station demanded, hey, you got to have somebody call 7 o'clock and 12 o'clock. You got to have them call. 
So I was just one of the guys there working, and they said, hey, guy, why don't you do it? So I started doing that, and that radio thing lasted for like 20 years. They said, guy, do you have a watch? <laughs> That's the yeah. first question. They said, you got an alarm clock, and so I just compiled surf reports. And this was in the infancy of surf forecasting. Surf forecasting has come a long way in the last you know, few years. Uh, the science of it is incredible now. Um, but that's how it started. And then after years of doing that and establishing an identity, not that I wanted to, but establishing an identity, doing that amongst the surf crowd, a weather position came open for a local TV station. And they said, well, why don't we get that surf guy? Well, we don't know what he looks like, <laughs> but just, just get him here. So I went and auditioned. And next thing you know, I, I got a job. So that's how it started. So you talked about the evolution of surf forecasting. And to me, it's amazing because you, you watch you on TV and you can tell us within a couple of feet how big those waves are going to be. North shore, south shore, west. Is it, is it all computer models? I mean, what, what, what goes on with that? So, so it's the same thing like predicting a storm and rainfall because waves are generated by storms. So they look at the intensity of the storm. They look at the direction of the winds with associated with the storm and where that swell that's being generated is being pointed to. And because of all the computer modeling now and because of all the data that they've collected over the last, say, 20 years, they got, they got it down to a science. Plus, there are buoys out there that read those swells. And, and you know, when I was in high school, we would walk an hour and a half to to see the sur- to go surfing right before we drove we would walk across downtown honolulu early in the morning to get there on the south shore and many times we'd be flat right and nobody in the world could tell us if there was going to be waves or not yeah but here today with the with the advancement in technology and and people being interested in and in scientists uh dedicating their time to it you know we can tell you within hours the size of the swell and um, the arrival of the swell. Granted, it's still not perfect, just like any other weather forecast. You're dealing with something to a large part still unpredictable and doing things that computer models can't figure out yet. But to a large extent, it's way more predictable than it's been over the in my lifetime, which is incredible. Think about that. In my lifetime, I can know tomorrow if there's going to be waves next week if there's going to be waves and have a and be um, pretty much plan with a lot of certainty that that's going to happen let's talk a little bit more about surfing because you know everyone's got their favorite surf spots for i'm not a surfer mm-hmm. but on the on the south shore i love to go and watch the surfers love to go to the north shore love to go to the bonsai pipeline mm-hmm. but on the south shore i like to go to uh Point Panic. Mm-hmm. Is is that, I, and like I said, I know nothing about surfing. Is that a good place? Because it seems like those guys are really into it. Well, Point Panic itself is, by law, limited to only body surfers. Not even bodyboarders can go out there. Point Panic. And then across the channel, if you look towards Diamond Head, right across the boat channel there. Now, that's Kiwalos, and that's open to everybody. In fact, that's the breeding ground for World Champ Curse Moore, uh, current um, world Championship Tour guys, Seth Moniz and Zeke Lau, they cut their teeth at that spot. So great waves right in that area that you're pointing out. And and Point Panic is interesting because it doesn't break when it's small. It only breaks when it's pretty good size. And like I said, it's the only spot in the entire state, I think. Uh, no, there's a couple others like Sandy Beach and Makapu. Only for body surfing. Only body surfing. 
So, so that's great that they get that thing. But you're right. It's easy to see. You're up high. You can look down on the wave. And whether you're a surfer or not, you can appreciate it. Where are some of your favorite spots to go surfing, whether they're on Oahu or the other islands? Well, I don't, sadly, I don't get to surf the neighbor islands as much. There are a handful of spots on Kauai that I really love. But the thing about Kauai is they're very guarded about about the spots, so I won't mention them. On Maui, I haven't surfed very much on Maui. They've got a couple world-class spots out there. Um, and on the Big Island, um, you know, I, sur- I surfed on the windward side in Honolii and a couple places around there. Every island has their spots, but the farther north you go, the more, the older the islands are, so the more developed the reefs are. And then you get better waves. Kauai, Oahu, better waves. And then when you get towards the big island, because the big island is so young, you don't have those developed reefs. So the waves aren't as good. Yeah, even though they have their waves occasionally now and then, you cannot compare what's going on with the big island in any way, shape, or form to how how good it is here in Oahu and over on Kauai. And as far as favorite spots, um, like I like Laniakea, Haliva, the smaller waves. I don't I don't surf big waves anymore. I used to surf some you know sizable waves, nothing like the Waimea Bay, Laird Hamilton kind of thing. But um, you know, I used to surf some pretty good sized waves, but I'm done with that now. I, uh, we're going to coach my kids and maybe they can, they can start charging them. <laughs> you got kids, man. You can't be doing that anymore. Well, no, my body is limiting, not the kids. <laughs> my body's telling me, oh, that's enough, right? I don't want to be held down to the point where I'm thinking, oh, so this is how it ends. But, uh, but in town, you know, I surf um, one of the most unfriendliest waves uh, on the South Shore. At least that's the reputation. It's called Alamona Bowl. So it's on the side of Magic Island. It's a unbelievably great man-made wave. Of course, they didn't think they were making a wave, but when they dredged the channel and, oh. ju- and, and just left the stuff on the side, just by default, they created this amazing hollow wave that catches um, good size uh, swells from the South during the summer. So the show is called Destination Eat Drink. So mm-hmm. let's talk some food because you're the resident foodie here, I think. You know, <laughs> uh, you've got this show, um, this segment on Hawaii News Now on TV called Cheap Eats. So you do it with Augie T, mm-hmm. one of Hawaii's most famous comedians. And first of all, how did you and Augie T uh, get together? What's funny is Augie and I have known each other since we were very young. Um, we have a common amateur boxing background okay but people gotta know i was a hack (laughs) augie was a champ he fought like more than 200 times traveled to the u.s mainland for a bunch of fights Uh, the guy's incredible so uh, don't mess with augie so anyway um you know so we've known each other in fits and starts and all that and um and then when we came here to start um this hawaii news now project which is like nine years now um they had this segment called Cheap Eats, and they said, well, those guys aren't going to do it anymore. We want you to do it. Well, who do you think you should do it with? I said, well, how about the, you know, and I just thought about it, thought, well, you know, I can play a straight guy, and there's got to be some kind of banter that's entertaining. It's not journalistic at all. Right. So uh, his name came up. I said, hey, uh, just the rhyming thing works all together. So, Hoggy and Hoggy. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's do that. And it's been wonderful. I mean, He's a, obviously he's a natural and he's naturally funny and I know enough how to serve him up the softball so she, he can hit him out of the park. And, and, and it's neat because of our um, dissimilar food backgrounds, how that comes into play too. How, how is your food backgrounds dissimilar? I think I'm a little, I've been more adventurous since the, since the get go for eating. Augie, not so much. On the news, during his Cheap Eats career, he has eaten a pickle. He's never eaten a pickle <laughs> prior to Cheap Eats. 
He's never eaten eggplant prior to cheap Whoa. eats. And this is coming from a Filipino background where eggplant is kind of a, one of the dishes that they really like. He never ate that. So it's really limited, but that's very typical of local kids, right? So I've traveled, and to me, when I travel, eating's part of the fun, right? And also when I started in news, I found out quickly that there are two groups of people that I really wanted to know really well. One of them was golf pros, <laughs> and the other one were chefs. I'm working in the surf industry for 20 years. I already had all the, you know, a lot of friends and connections in the surf industry and still do today. Real thankful for that. But, you know, I, I didn't know that many chefs and, 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 and I was an aspiring golfer and all that and still am today. Uh, but yeah, those guys are most fun. You know, they feed you well and, and they enlighten you to a lot of stuff. Plus, growing up surfing, I had a couple friends that surfed with me. They were chefs. So, so that added to the, to the interest as well. And I think, man, food is one of the great joys in life, right? I mean, all things in moderation, but, uh, you know, when you get something that is something you've never tried before and something that's prepared so well, uh, I mean, hard to beat it, right? Hard to beat that thrill. What's your definition of a cheap eat? I mean, you call the show cheap eats, but how do you determine what's cheap eats and, you know, where does it fall on the spectrum? You know, we don't put a price range on it so much as we put it in relative terms. Like, I wouldn't say what Chef Mavro and what Roy Yamaguchi and what Alan Wong are doing as cheap eats, right? But... By the same token, you know, there are other places that serve paper plate lunches that are pretty expensive. So we just, we just, we've expanded the, the term cheap eats to include stuff like, um, you know, stuff that are cheaper in relation to what you normally would expect. Like somebody serving a prime rib for 15 bucks, you know, you know, some people go, that's not cheap in terms of cheap, but in terms of a prime rib plate, that's really cheap. It's not as cheap as a hamburger, but it's cheap compared to other prime ribs. Yeah, right. But then, you know, and then you got a hamburger that's 18 bucks, and right. we wouldn't put that on cheap eats, right? Right. But we like to stretch it a little bit. You know, sometimes dip our toe a little bit into that, that realm going, these guys got cheap happy hour stuff, but if you come at the regular time, this is what they have. Right. Because we've done cheap eats at, believe it or not, um, Wolfgang Steakhouse because they have a $10 burger. A $10 burger, you think, oh, that's not that cheap. But at Wolfgang's, that's cheap. It's mighty cheap. So that's the kind of thing that we've been able to stretch a little bit. It's upset some of the longtime viewers who are kind of stuck in this. Cheap eats is everything under eight bucks. No, it's not. It's not. So, and that would limit us too with regard to choices of where to go. There ain't much uh, below eight bucks anymore either. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of stretched it, you know. So, so now it's, it's more like affordable stuff, stuff that's not expensive eats. You know, and, and, and we kind of push it because we like to turn people on to new things. You know, not so, and, and they're friendly to your wallet. I mean, not everything's going to be the $2 hamburger. You know, you can't find the $5 plate lunch all the time. And sometimes it's not going to be good either. And we do a good amount of vetting of the places that we go to make sure that, you know, cause we don't, it's not a review show. You know, it's just a hey, turn you on kind of show. Right. So, we got to make sure that when we eat it, it's going to be good. We assure ourselves of that by doing all the Yelp reviews and friends that go. Um, so that way, we don't have egg on our face when somebody comes back. Now, we can't do anything about the service. And the hardest thing about a restaurant is consistency, right? And sometimes they're not consistent. So we get, we get um, you know, the odd 
note coming back sometime. It wasn't this, it wasn't that. But, you know, those are pretty minimal. And I think we've been doing it for, what, nine years now? So I can kind of count on one hand the amount of letters we've got like that. So I think we're doing a pretty good job. So when you're not doing cheap beats, where are some of your favorite places to go? Date night with you and the wife? Or where do you like to take the kids? Oh, boy. You know, the, the hard part is now, my kids have grown up with me cooking for them, right? And me taking them out. And around and around on our travels, so they have um, sophisticated palates, but they also, you know, they also can eat, you know, um, cup noodle. You know what I mean? They got a wide range. So locally, there's a handful of spots that I really like. Um, like there's this one um, make your own ramen place called Auntie's Ramen. It's okay. on Macaulay. So that's really good because her broths are really good. You get to pick and and it's like a salad bar of ramen ingredients, and you just go and you tell them the noodle, you tell them the broth, unreal and affordable. Um, fresh poke. There's a handful of good places. I'm very picky about poke. It's got to be fresh. I don't like this frozen stuff. Oh, previously frozen. I just turn my um, my nose up at it. Granted, some of it's pretty good, but I can tell the difference. <clears throat> so there's Ahi Assassins, which is the university area. A new place up in Manoa just opened called Off the Hook Poke. Right next door is one a great sandwich place called Andy's. So Andy's is a health food kind of thing, but they serve some meat stuff, but great smoothies. You know, when my wife and I want to go out, she's, oh, we go to Vino. I was going to bring that up. That is my favorite place in Kakako. Yeah. I, I lo- and I don't know. I've said this before on the podcast. I don't know who their sommelier is, oh. but he brings in the best wine. You hit it on the head. That's very astute of you. I'll, I'll, I'll just drop some knowledge on you that you will feel um, very much validated in your choice of Somalia. <laughs> the Somalia is the co-owner of the place. Okay. okay? His name is Chuck Furuya. Chuck is Hawaii's first master Somalia. Okay. Now, there's only 200 of these guys in the world. Right. Chuck was one of the first master Somalias in the world. He helped design the test for... Master Somalias. So that's why the wine list is there. The, and, and his chef, Keith Endel, is creating stuff nonstop to pair with those obviously great wines. Not only expensive wines, but cheap, but cheaper yeah. wines. Um, and anyway, my wife, my family, we love that place. We love that place. We went in, first time I went in, I had a glass of wine from, a glass of red wine from Greece. Yeah. See, and he pulls stuff like that. It was five, and I, I was, I went in very skeptical. It was five dollars. I was like, "Whoa! <laughs> if he can find the best wine in Greece, this is my place now." See, that's what I love about Chuck and guys like Chuck. They take their passion and they share it. You know, when Chuck probably served you that wine, as much satisfaction as you get out of that, he got just as much turning you on to that and turning you on to this five-dollar bottle of something you would never, never think of. And it's like that with food too. I, I like that. Like um, one one day, Roy Yamaguchi called me up. He goes, "Hey, guy, uh, Alan and I cooking dinner at my house. You guys gotta come." So he goes, "All right, what's the deal? What? Like, why? You don't call me up all the time." Oh no, we're cooking lamb. I said, "Okay, we, you, we're, gonna, we're gonna have like this. We just gonna make three different dishes of lamb, and you gotta come and you gotta taste it." Okay, so so why lamb? Oh, because um the 4-H club just had their thing and we just bought some lamb right and i said okay cool and he goes yeah and i said who else is coming he goes the kids that did raise the lamb i said what and they're kind of weird he goes no 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 these are country kids man they're good so we went to the thing there he made it. these lamb and the kids were like i was like wondering how they're gonna 
react to this eating their own lamb, their own pets for a while. And the kids were real country kids going, I just was really interested to see how it tastes based on what I fed it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they're that into it. Right. And other, one other kid was, man, I'm so happy to eat the lamb because I don't have to wake up early in the morning anymore. <laughs> to feed. So it's a real matter of fact kind of thing, right? I right, mean, right. real world kind of thing. But but that's kind of those um, those moments that, that you go, wow, I'm really lucky to be in this little circle. Yeah. You know, Hawaii has, it's, of course, it's 2,500 miles from the mainland, has its own unique cuisine. And you talked about poke a little bit, but there's a couple other things um, that I'd like to get your take on uh, as far as Hawaiian dishes that I had never had before I set foot in Hawaii. And one of them is uh, kololo. Oh, kololo. Yeah, kololo. Okay, kololo obviously is a taro pudding with coconut, right? It is one of my favorite things in the world. Heaps of sugar in it. It's a pain in the behind to make it, okay? And it's hard to find. And when you find it, you got to make sure it's fresh. It's got to be soft. So Thursday's food land. Don't go go Friday because it's already (laughs) one day old and it's harder. So, yeah, and you can often find it at craft fairs. Some guys are now pairing it with haupia, so it's called haololo. Oh, so it's okay. coconut pudding on top of a taro pudding. Oh, my gosh. So that was the thing I was going to ask you about next was uh, haupia. Is mm-hmm. it haupia? Is that haupia. Haupia, yeah. And so I've only seen haupia not by itself, but in like a pie right. or something like that. Right. That's- and we should say what haupia actually is. It's right. uh, coconut milk. Pudding kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like a coconut jello, a really thicker coconut jello. So when you go to Luau's, that's going to be the standard dessert, a, a, a square of this coconut pudding. So it's square. Um, and they've taken it to adding that on top of pies, like a chocolate cream pie. Right. And then you have this coconut pudding on the top. Um, a sweet potato pie with a um, with that uh, haupia on the top. And it's become a nice pairing, you know what I mean? So it's pretty good. And that's not that difficult to make. Plus, too, there are instant mixes. Unlike Kololo, there's no instant. But yeah. Haupia, there's instant mixes. You can just mix it with hot water and some uh, some coconut milk, let it set, and there you go, Haupia. That's easy. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other the other thing that I had never seen before I came to Hawaii was uh, Loco Moco. Oh. <laughs> yeah, what's, stra- what's strange is that even though we claim that as local, think about the ingredients. Oh, right. well, aside from Japanese rice. Yeah. Right? Everything's really not, well, I guess when you pair all those things together, but hamburger, brown gravy, and a fried egg. Right. You know, the only difference being, you know, Japanese rice as the base. But, but yeah, I, so it's hard to screw that up, right? Except you got to make the brown gravy from scratch. And that's yeah. why, to me, Liliha Bakery. Okay. Lo- Locomoco, Liliha Bakery. You know, the thing about Locomoco, to me, it's kind of like Hawaiian comfort food. Yes, you know? Definitely. Definitely Hawaiian comfort food. But you know what? Most Hawaiian food is comfort food. Yeah. I mean, where else can you go where uh, fresh fish is considered comfort food? Yeah. Well, we've got abundance and we've had the luxury of having fresh fish and not even have to think about it, right? So, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, catching fish, cutting fish, gutting fish, eating fish. That's the second nature to me. And it's sad because my kids, I never grew up, my kids grew my kids up to fish. They don't know how to fish. They don't know how to gut a fish. You know, my wife, born and raised on the mainland, can't stand the sight of a fish looking back at her. <laughs> she loves fish, but will not eat it if there's a head on it. 
Right. So, so, so there's the differences there. So, sadly, that's that's kind of gone by the wayside, at least in the Hagi household. Although my my two brothers are avid fishermen, so they supply me with fish. So occasionally I'll post something caught, not bought. Although more often it's bought, not caught in my household. Yeah. <laughs> you you mentioned you mentioned your kids, and you said that you uh, grew up. They grew up cooking with you. Mm. Uh, what were some of your favorite things to cook with your kids, and what things do they like to cook with you? So my son is uh, a snob. So <laughs> like he's making cacho pepe now. Oh my. Yeah, so he's making that, but he's trying to figure out how the cheese won't melt and it's got to be runny, you know what I mean? Because it can get, get, because if you cook it at too high a heat, you know, it'll melt and it'll solidify. Then you got this chunk of cheese. So he's doing that. He's a ramen um, aficionado. He turns, his turns his nose up, even though he'll eat an instant ramen if the, if the need be. Um, he turns his nose up at certain places to eat ramen because he's like that. Uh, my daughter doesn't cook that much, but she, she, if she's gonna do something, she likes to do it on her own. You know, she can make her own homemade cookies and all that stuff. So, so, so it's, it's pretty cool to foster that. And because they're young, I'm cooking because I have the time. I cook, you know, five to six days a week. Um, so they don't really have the opportunity to cook. Um, but, but they definitely show an interest. Like my kid, um, like Luke, um, likes his burgers a certain way. It's called a smash burger. Okay. So you have to cook it and, and make sure there's a crust on it. So that's how he makes his, and he got to make sure he's real particular about stuff. Um, so I know when I was his age, that's kind of where my cooking skills were. Um, so I know it's just a matter of time before, and because he's so picky, he's going to end up cooking his own. Same for my daughter, I think. Yeah. You, you mentioned Caco e Pepe, and I always call Caco e Pepe a Italian grandmother Jedi mind trick because, you know, I, I tried making it for years and it would always turn into that clump right. of ugly cheese. Right. And I kind of have my own method of doing it, which isn't traditional and it's, it's not as creamy, but at least I don't end up with that clump yeah. at the end, you know? Yeah. But you know, it's using that pasta water that right. you save on the side, that you know, water. yeah. And not over seasoning it too, right. And have a, a fair bit of fresh cracked pepper on it. And that's all it is, you know, it's pasta, pasta water, um, and the cheese. You gotta have the right cheese, you know, a little bit of salt, and then, and then you know, just the, just the pepper. And it's such a plain dish, but done right. And that's true for a lot of stuff, right? That's why our best poke is the poke that's just got a couple of ingredients with it, with the best fish, right? Anywhere in the world, this is the best way, whether it's Italian food, whether it's Hawaiian food, yeah. a couple of ingredients, fresh, prepared nicely. It lets the freshness of the ingredients come through. Yeah, all the best chefs will tell you that. And then everything they add in adds to the taste of that particular ingredient, right? And then, too, we're lucky, too, because we have some of the best ingredients here. Although I take issue with Hawaii, with um, uh, tomatoes that you get at the local stores here. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Give me a tomato that tastes like a tomato. You can't. We got softballs in most of the stores, man. It's and it's not the problem just in Hawaii. It's a problem all over the place now because these tomatoes have been bred for shipping instead of for eating. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, when you go to a farmer's market, you get an heirloom tomato. And this, like, oh. I don't want to cook this thing, 
right? You want to put as little dressing as you want on yeah. it because it tastes so good. It's like smelling a real rose as opposed to a rose you get at a florist, right? Well, Guy Hagi, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And for folks who can't, who don't have access to Hawaii News Now, who aren't in Hawaii, um, where can they see you do Cheap Eats and some of your other features? Well, Hawaii News Now, all you have to do is go on YouTube, type in Hawaii News Now, and type in my name. And then, because uh, I do Pacific Pulse, which is uh, a feature on something to do with local water sports normally or ocean or ocean science. So there's that. YouTube, uh, the Cheap Eats episodes are now going up on YouTube. Um, as well as uh, no matter where you are, we stream our newscast live. So Hawaii News Now, uh, you just get the app and then uh, you can see us there all the time. Guy Hagi, thank you very much for being on Destination Eat Drink. Sure, Brent. Eat, drink, more, better. <laughs> Be merry. Destination Eat Drink. Big thanks to Guy Hagi for taking the time to meet with me on the set of Hawaii News Now. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Destination Eat Drink at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or on your favorite podcast app. A new episode drops each and every Friday. Join me next week. We'll explore one of the great unknown regions of Italy, Molise. I'm Brent Peterson. Thanks to Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network for distribution of the podcast. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.